You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Next week, we start the book of Acts, and so uh, we've got a new video that's going to be rolling out that uh, Switch Energy's been working on, and they're going to be showing that to us. Uh, But the whole premise behind this video and behind studying the book of Luke is is we really believe that that God's kingdom has come upon us. That's something when Jesus came, he ushered in this kingdom. And so we spent the last six months really studying it and and learning what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. Uh, And I don't know about you guys, I thought it was just a really cool journey to walk on, to see the big picture of all that God's done, to see his plan, his redemptive plan. And as we've walked through the scriptures and Jesus has looked back at at how he's fulfilled Old Testament scriptures, we've been able to go back and see that. And we've been able to see what it means to be called the people of God and what it means to be together. And, and uh, it's just been a, been a cool, cool, cool journey. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I tend to forget, you know, like I forget all that God's done. I forget the, the extravagance of his grace and, and his plan throughout time to redeem his people and to make his name known and to and make himself glorified. And, uh, and I kind of become like fat on grace, you know, and I just kind of sit back and and, and I'm living in, in light of what Jesus Christ has done. And, and, and I just let it, just, I just forget about it. And I come in here sometimes and I sing songs that I don't mean, you know. And, and I, I need my mind to be opened up and my heart to be opened back up to the reality of all that God has, God has done for us. And, or sometimes I just forget and it doesn't really make sense what's going on at the time. Um, we watched uh, Harry Potter, the last one. Which one was it? Deathly Hollows. Have you guys seen Harry Potter? I'm like the, probably the last one that's ever seen Harry Potter. We got it on Netflix, uh, and we watched part one, um, and what is like number seven. And I didn't realize that if you hadn't seen one through six, it's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. And so about halfway through Deathly Hollows, I was like, I don't understand any of this. I don't understand what they're saying. I don't understand what's going on. And so we just kind of, we finished out the movie, and yesterday we were hanging out with Rebecca and Kim Chu, and Rebecca's like our all things Potter person, and I was like, you got to help me out here, like, who's the guy with the beard, like, he's dead, you know, they're, they're warping around different places, and she explained the whole now, you know, because it was a story, right, there's, and it had to go out a certain God's word is meant to be read the same way of all that he is doing. And so, am I cutting in and out? Okay, do we want to do mic uh, batteries or do we just want to wing it? Um, or it could be the reception from the thingy over there. Um, and so, it's, a lot of, it's good for us just to reflect back and, and, like I said, remember the story so that it all makes sense. And so we're kind of jumping in right at the end of the story today in the end of Luke with the resurrection of Jesus. And last week, Billy did the crucifixion. This week, we're going to look at basically ask ourselves two questions. is How do we know Jesus was actually resurrected? And what does that mean for us being his people? So before we get into it, let's pray. And, uh, and then we'll open up the scriptures and, uh, and we'll study it together. And uh, I'm going to have you guys come up after I pray, okay? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that, uh, that you do have this incredible plan that you've revealed to us, God. I thank you that you don't change, uh, that, that, you, uh, that you planned long ago, Father, even before we were created, that one day you would send your son and he would be the, the atoning sacrifice for us. And one day he would, he would rise and he would conquer death. And, and he would be sitting at your right hand. Uh, Father, that was all part of your beautiful plan. And, and I admit that I often forget the plan, Father. We forget it. We forget uh, your, uh, your incredible grace. We forget how you've redeemed us and you've saved us from a life of, of not knowing you. And so I pray, Father, that just like as you open the disciples' minds to the truth of who you are in this passage, that you would open our minds and our hearts to who you are in this place. So we ask this in your beautiful name. Amen. We're going to be reading from Luke 24, and I just want to invite you guys to all stand up for the reading of God's Word, and uh, if you want, you can follow along in your Bibles. 
But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as, the, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of the sinful men and be crucified on the third day, er, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping, in, stooping and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, uh, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They went they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe that all, the prophets, all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures uh, and all the things concerning himself. Verse, verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour, and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. You may be seated. Thanks, guys. Uh, it's been cool just to read the scriptures through this series. I don't think we've ever done that as a church before, and, and, uh, and let God kind of speak to us. And there's been multiple times uh, over the last six months where I've hung out with some of you guys, and you've talked specifically about how you came to church with questions and the scriptures spoke to you. Uh, that gets me excited to know that God is alive and he is speaking through his word. Uh, and you guys are, are feeling that and, and feeling his spirit moving. And so it's been fun to do it. We want to continue to read them as we jump into the book of Acts. I would love to have like a narrator because Acts has a lot of, of narration. Uh, it's one person kind of describing it. So if someone has like a cool narrator voice and they like to be our narrator for Acts, come and talk to me. I'd love to get you up here uh, and kind of walk us through the scriptures on a Sunday morning. So this is how Luke decides to close out his book, talking about the the resurrection, and then these few sightings that we have of Jesus showing up to people, and then Jesus giving his disciples this last command before he is lifted up into heaven. He goes back to to be with Jesus. And so Luke, if you're not familiar with the book, is a a guy that was a follower of Jesus. He was one of his disciples, and, and what he did is he wrote an eyewitness account of everything that he saw, and four of the disciples did this, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And Luke specifically is writing his letter to a guy named Theophilus. And basically he's saying, this is all that I saw. I would hope that by explaining this to you, then you would hear the story of who Jesus really is. And so that's what we've been doing this whole, for the last six months, is we just want to know who Jesus is. We want to know what his kingdom is is all about. Well, the book of Luke starts with a guy named Zechariah. He's a priest in a temple, and he is basically praying, doing his priestly duties, but he's searching for God, and he's waiting for a hope. And this hope was a promise that God had made to his people a long, long time ago. You can look at it in Genesis 15 to a guy named Abram. And he said, I, God told Abram, I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And, and if you'll follow me and if you'll do what I tell you to do. And he says, I want you to look up in the skies and your descendants will be as vast as the stars in the sky. And they will, have, they will be a part of a kingdom that will have, that will have no end to it. And so that was the promise that God made to Abraham and that he made to us as his creation. That if we followed him, if we live lives in obedience to him, then he would be our God and we could walk in a relationship with him. But we know there's a problem there, right? And the problem's our sin. We know that we're constantly rebellious against God. We're constantly flipping God off and doing what we want to do with our lives and rebelling against him. And so God made a way for us, even though we were rebellious, even though we were sinful, that we could still have a relationship with him. And it was through this sacrificial system, right? It was through the system of sacrificing animals. And this is what we see when we look in the Bible in the Old Testament of an animal without blemish, a a pure sacrifice. That would be the, the payment for your sin. That would be the payment for your rebellion against me. And although that, that system worked, the, the people still constantly sinned. They still constantly rebelled against their God. They wandered to all these different things, all these different idols. And so God gave them a promise that one day he would send them a king, uh, a king that, would, that would, they could follow and that, that, would, that would rule over them. And he would be the, the prince of peace is what the Bible calls him. He would be a, the good shepherd. He would be a king that would, that would take care of of them. He would, he would walk with them. So that was that promise of the king, the promise of what we would, we use the word Messiah, of a savior. That's what Zechariah was looking for in the beginning of Luke, of, of this king that would, 
that would one day come, this hope. And so in, in Luke 1, 76 through 79, he, he, he says this prayer, and he's talking about uh, what Jesus is going to be like. And it says here, open up Luke 1. It says, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge and salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So that's what Jesus was going to be all about. So Zechariah was going to have this kid named John the Baptist, and John was going to tell about the Savior. And so he says he's going to give light to all those who sit in darkness, in the shadows of the death. He's going to guide our feet. And we know that he did that because God actually came, and and he came to this earth in in a human form. And he was born, and he, and he lived on this earth for 30 years, and, and he showed us what it means to be a part of his kingdom. And he healed people, and he, he cast out evil spirits, and he did miraculous wonders, even things that, that defy all our logic, and he defied nature. And he talked about what it meant to be in a relationship with God. And then we know as the story continued that even though he was so good, right, and he was, he was so incredibly gentle. What did the people do to him? They killed him. They, they crucified him because they didn't like his message. They didn't like what he had to say. And so Billy showed us a, kind of an example of this last week. Do you guys remember his little diagram that he did the, with the world and the people standing on top? So last week when we walked through the resurrection, I don't know where Billy got this from, but he showed this to it and it was pretty cool. I, I like the way that he broke it down because it was really just simple to understand. Basically in the top left, it starts with, with God created human beings to live in his kingdom. We'll go to this one. You can see it all. God created human beings to live on this earth, and he was going to be king over them, right? The crown. I'm going to, I'm going to be your guide. You're going to be my people. But we know what, what the people did. What do we do? We decided we didn't want to follow God. We didn't want to live in his kingdom. And so we decided to take the crown for ourselves, and we sinned against him, and we rebelled against him. Well, what's the penalty for rebelling against the king? What? Death. Death. And so we've got our guy dying here. You rebelled against the king, so a a, a penalty needed to be paid. God is just, right? When you you sin against him, when you rebel, there's a penalty for that. So the penalty was death. But instead of God killing us, he sends his son Jesus. And he becomes the penalty for our death. He takes all the payment on himself so that now we can live in his kingdom. So that we can now be a part of it. We no longer have to have to be separated from God because of our sin and our rebellion, because of what Jesus Christ did. So Billy walked us through that last week. He walked us through the resurrection, I mean the the crucifixion and and all that that entails. But we know that the story doesn't stop there because we know that in three days, Jesus rises from the grave. And there's a lot of debate about this. A lot of people like, you can't prove that Jesus actually rose from the grave because nobody saw it, right? Nobody was actually there when Jesus arose, but we have these testimonies about what happened afterwards, and that's what I want us to look at today. I want us to look at what are those, what are those proofs that we know that Jesus actually did rise from the grave, and then as God's people, what does that mean for us? Is that even significant for us? Because isn't, isn't the cross what really matters, that we were forgiven, and, and the resurrection just something that happened afterwards? It's not. That's not what the Scripture teaches. And so there's a lot of proof that show that Jesus was resurrected, and a couple of them I want to look at um, one of them is the fact that there was an empty tomb, right? That's historically recorded that after Jesus' death, three days later, three women, Mary Magdalene, Johanna, and Mary, the mother of James, I believe, yeah, uh, came to the tomb to visit Jesus' body. And basically that was to put ointment on his body to, to continue through the burial process. We know that they got there and did they meet Jesus? No, they met an angel, and an angel said, he's not here, he's risen. And so they go out and they, and they, they tell other people about it. So the fact that there was an empty tomb has got to say something happened, right? What happened to Jesus' body? Did the disciples come and take it? No, the Roman guards were still standing there. And when we read the scriptures, the disciples were hiding. You know, the next thing we know about them, they've got themselves locked in a room and they're scared. You know, when Jesus was crucified, only one of them was even there at the end, and now they, most of them had fled in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
And so now they're locked in a room, so they didn't do it. Well, what about the Romans? The Romans came and took the bodies. They wouldn't do that. That's just going to cause more of an insurrection in their empire. The, the Jews came and took the body. Why would, why would the Jews come and take Jesus' body away to continue to create conflict? So the fact that there was an empty tomb tells us that, that something happened. Jesus' body wasn't there anymore. And then we have the witnesses. In the scriptures, it actually says that these three women went and saw the tomb were empty. And that's, that's recorded in history that they said that the, the tomb was empty. Well, why is that significant? The fact that they were women, women were considered second-class citizens in this, in this culture. And so the fact that their testimony was recorded in history says that it was valid. They wouldn't have done it for any other reason. And then we have eyewitness accounts. We have them, we have Jesus appearing multiple times to the disciples and the apostles. One of the examples we're going to look at today, we even have a, an example of Jesus showing up to a group of 500 people later on in 1 Corinthians uh, 15.6. Paul actually talks about how he met this group of 500 people and they were telling him about how they had encountered the risen, the risen Jesus. We also can see a boldness that happens in the people of God. They go from being scared and hiding to being, being uh, empowered to go out. They, they go from being in this room not knowing what to do to this incredible boldness that, that they go out all across the Roman Empire and begin to tell about Jesus. And they begin to get killed left and right. They begin to get persecuted. And does that slow them down at all? No, they continue to tell about Jesus. Guys like Paul who encountered Jesus, something happened inside of him. He, he, he met the risen Savior, and so that gave him the validity to go forth and to do what God was telling him to do. That's how we know that Jesus was, was risen, was from these very clear examples that we have in scriptures. And so one of them I want to look at today, one of those proofs that Jesus was risen is documented by Luke in his last chapter, in, verse, in chapter 24. And it starts in Luke 36, uh, and I want to read it a little bit at a time. We're just going to walk through this passage and see what it says. So, so in, verse, in 24, 36, it says, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. So can you imagine? Put yourself in this situation. Before this, what, uh, what Julian and, and Rebecca read was the, the story of the women going to the tomb and not finding Jesus. And then the, 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 the disciples on the road to Emmaus, they're walking and Jesus appears to him. So they've all come back and they're, they've told, they're telling this group, hey, we've met Jesus. He's actually alive. And, and everybody's really skeptical, you know, and they're locked in this room. And all of a sudden, bam, like Jesus appears to him. He's like, peace to you. I would have crapped myself. You know, like the last time we saw Jesus, he was hanging on a cross. We, wait, we remember him going to the tomb. We wrapped his body. We, we saw the women went to the tomb with him. They rolled the stone and all of a sudden he's here. He's alive and he appears to him. That would scare me, right? I can imagine they're surprised it says, but they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit, right? No, duh. So Jesus says, okay, you guys don't believe let me prove it to you. Let me prove that I actually am alive. And so he's going to ask them two questions here. One's going to be about their outward response of being frightened, and the other one's going to be about their heart. In verse 38, he says, Why are you troubled, and why did doubts arise in your heart? It's understandable why they were troubled, right? Jesus just appeared to them. But why are they doubting? Did, didn't Jesus tell them that he was going to come back multiple times in his ministry? And when he walked with them, he told them that he was going to die in three days, come back to life. But they didn't believe it. And, and this is where I think a lot of us are today. We, we know that Jesus was crucified. We know that, that a penalty was paid for our sin. But we don't live as if Jesus was resurrected. We don't live believing that Jesus actually overcame death, that we, as being his people, can actually overcome sin. And so we continue to come in here week after week, and we do our routine, and we sing our songs, and we're nice to each other, but our, our, hearts, our hearts and our minds aren't changing. 
Our, our, our attitude isn't changing. And that's because there's a failure of, of some fundamental part of the gospel that we're not believing. And I think a big part of it is we just don't believe, or we don't live like we believe that Jesus is actually resurrected from the grave. And so Jesus is going to say, I can prove it to you. Look, look at my hands and my feet. He says in verse 39, see my hands, my feet? It is I myself, touch me, see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. He goes, you want proof? Use your senses. You know, your, your touch, come up, touch my hands, there's holes in them. Look at my feet, there's, there's holes in my feet. You know, look, look with your eyes, see my body. Ghosts don't have bodies. Spirits don't have bodies. Jesus said, I have a real body. It is, it is really me, I've actually resurrected from the grave. Now this is huge, right? Because it's not uncommon for people to see things like spirits, you know, or people that have died. We still see Elvis all the time and Tupac, you know? I mean, it's still the stupid sightings are popping up all over the place. But what's the difference is the touching. It's the feeling, right? Of, of coming, if, 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 if I was able to touch Tupac, I'd probably believe he was still alive, but he's not. The guy died. Um, it's a tangent. And so Jesus is showing them, use your senses, see that I am, that I am really here, that I am, that I am really alive. And so after the disciples touch him and they, and they see, what does it say in verse 40? And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? So touching isn't enough. Seeing isn't enough. He says, okay, let's fellowship together. Let's have a meal together. Jesus did that so much when he walked with them, right? That's when he taught them the most when he was sitting down around a table with them. That we looked at so many examples over the last six months of, of him eating with people and talking about him. And so he sits down and, and they bring him some fish and he, he eats the fish. It says they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. And so all of a sudden they're like, wow, you really are here. You were, you were dead, but now you're, you're really alive. So, so with our hearts, okay, or with our minds, okay, let's say I believe that. Let's say I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Why does it matter? What's significant about that? This is what Jesus is going to lay out for them starting here in verse 44. He's going to explain to him why it matters that he resurrected from the grave. In verse 44, it said to, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so Jesus tells them, remember all that I said? Remember even before I was here, remember in the prophets and the Psalms and, and, and in Moses? So this would have been all of the Old Testament. This would have been everything that was prophesied about Jesus before. Now the Jews didn't have this. They just had what was called the scriptures. They had the law, they had the prophets, and they had the Psalms. But we've had, we put it together and we call it the Old Testament. They were just called the scriptures. He says, remember the scriptures? Remember all that was prophesied about me? That has actually come true. I am actually, I'm actually here. I am the completion and the fulfillment of the scriptural promise of hope. What God promised, he actually brought to really happen. He says, remember that. Remember my promise to you. Remember the promise that I made to Abraham. That actually came true. I'm here. Why are you not living like you believe that I am here? Why do I have to prove it to you? Don't you know all that was written about me? Don't you know this journey that I've been on? Don't you know that this incredible thing that's happened? Now believe it. And, and I think of my life and I think of this journey that I've walked in with God. And, and I'm like the disciples. Like I, I get, I, I think about the now. You know, like I forget about all that God's done on my journey with him. I, think about, I forget about all the times when I've rebelled against him and I've sinned. I forget about all the times when I've run to lust and he's forgiven me. All the times when I've become selfish and I think of right now and, and what's going on right now. And so I have to look back and I have to remember the journey that I've been on with God. And that's why we study the scriptures. We have to remember the incredibly beautiful power story. The greatest story that was ever told is right here in front of us. But we're not living like we believe it. So we have to constantly go back and we have to reread it, right? And we have to study it. And we have to study it over and over again. Because we forget. We forget all that, all that God had done. 
And so Jesus is going to say, okay, all of, these, all of this scripture, basically, all of these prophecies about me, all the Psalms, everything that happened in Moses, it basically is about three things that were supposed to happen. He's going to say these three things right here, that I was supposed to suffer and die, that I was going to be resurrected, and that because of those two things, you would be given an opportunity to repent and to receive forgiveness. That's what it was all about. That's what the entire story was about. Jesus sums it up right here in those three things. And so that's what he says in verse 44. Thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And so there's a couple of texts that show this. So if you're like, how, how do we know that was actually God's plan? Let's take a look at them. The first one is in, that Jesus actually says in Luke 18, 31 through 33. He says, in talking to the twelve, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. He said, everything that was written in the past, I'm going to accomplish. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. We know that happened. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. How about Psalms? Let's jump to a Psalms here. Jesus said, all that was written before, I am fulfilling. Psalm 22, 16 through 18. For, he says, for, this, is, uh, this is David prophesying, For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. That didn't happen to David. That happened to Jesus. I count all my bones. I, I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. We know that happened. Let's jump to the prophets. Isaiah 53, 5 through 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That was always a part of God's plan. God always knew that we would rebel against him. God always knew that he would send his son to be the sacrifice for that rebellion. God always knew that he would raise his son from the dead to, to vindicate all that had been done. God always knew that he would send his spirit and that we would become the church and we would get to live in light of all that he had done. Isn't that a beautiful plan? I love that. I love when I, when I look at that. I don't always understand the plan. The disciples obviously didn't, you know, like they weren't even expecting Jesus to be risen. And I don't always understand it. I, sometimes I have to go back and I have to remember God's goodness. Sometimes I have to have my, my mind open. That's what Jesus does to them. He opens up their mind and their eyes and their heart to who he is. I hope that happens to you guys today, that by reading his word, your mind and your heart would be open. So he says, first I'm going to suffer. He looked at those, looked at, the, um, at those verses. A penalty had to be paid for our rebellion. We had to be purchased with a price. And that was Jesus going to the cross. But not only that, in Jesus' obedience to be the, the payment for our sin, God vindicated that by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is the second thing that Jesus said would have. I would rise from the grave. And he talked about this multiple times. Look at this verse, Luke 9, 22. Jesus said, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And then we have a, a passage in Psalm that also talks about this. Psalm 16, uh, 10, which I have to make the connection. It says, for, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. So basically it says Jesus is going to die, but God is going to bring him back. He, he won't forever be separated from God. He will be, be resurrected. That was, that was always a part of God's incredibly beautiful plan. So since the achievement of the cross was so complete, since, since what God did made it, since what Jesus did made us so complete and whole in God's eyes, and the work of our justification was so decisive, God raised Jesus from the dead to validate our forgiveness and to vindicate his son's righteousness and to celebrate the work of justification that he did on the cross. Praise God. Man, what, what would it have been like if, if Jesus hadn't have ever risen from the grave? I know one thing. 
we would never have the power to overcome sin. And, and Jesus, and that's, there's, there's tons of, of, of reasons that Jesus resurrected from the grave. Uh, John Piper has got a really cool article uh, that you can go to on desiringgod.com. And he's got like, like 40 different reasons that Jesus was raised from the dead. But one of the huge ones for us is that because Jesus overcame death, we can now overcome through him. We no longer have to live in this awful, sinful pattern. We no longer have to continue rebelling against him. His spirit now lives inside of us, and we can overcome. I had a, a conversation this week with one of the guys here at the church, and we were talking about, we were talking about forgiveness and about our sin and, and you know, of, of regretting the things that we had done in the past, you know, of regretting some of the mistakes that we had made and having to face the consequences for those. It's one thing to, to look at your past and to be regretful for that and that there's natural consequences for sin. It's another thing to believe that Jesus Christ paid for that sin and in being resurrected, you now have the power to overcome that sin. You now have the power to continue to go forth and live on this earth in a way that brings glory and righteousness to his holy name, not to continue in this awful sinful pattern. So the greatest news in all the world is that God and his son are most glorified in you and you are most satisfied in him. That's what it's all about. It's being, it's God receives glory when you guys are satisfied in him and what he provides for you. And what he's done for you. That's what it means to live on this earth in light of the resurrection. It's a life of hope. A life of an incredibly beautiful plan that, that, uh, that God brought in. And we had this, this, this time of Jesus' kingdom here on this earth, which is a huge milestone. But the plan continues. And we get to now live in light of that. And so I wanted to read a few of these things that Piper, uh, in his article, he said. And raising Jesus Christ from the dead... He gave us forgiveness and glorified Jesus as the all-sufficient forgiver. He gave us a friend to count on and glorified Jesus as utterly reliable. He gave us guidance and unchanging truth and glorified Jesus as the absolute foundation for truth and righteousness. He gave us a life that is not pitiable but enviable, a ministry that is not vain but fruitful, and glorified Jesus as the source and goal of all life and all ministry. And he gave us everlasting joy that will not be ended by death and glorified Jesus as the author of life, the victor over death and the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Praise God, right? In, in the end of all things, when you look at the Bible and you see the end, you see a picture in, in Revelation, um, I believe it's Revelation 5 when it, when it talks about the lamb who is, who is worthy to open the seals. And the response of the people and what Jesus was, what did, he did in Revelation is worthy as the lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by his blood to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing forever. Amen. That's what we'll be doing for the rest of eternity is praising God for what he's done. If we're going to spend the rest of eternity praising him for that, why would we not do it now in the life that we live in this place in St. John's? Why would we not do it on the mission that he's placed us here? To, to, to study his word, to draw together as his people, to be in community together, and to, to go and proclaim his name to other people. It's because we've just forgotten and we need to be reminded. We need to get as excited about what Jesus has done as the disciples are about to in the book of Acts. Because they're going to seriously go out and kick some tail. They are not going to care about what anybody thinks. And the majority of them are going to die because of their professing of Jesus Christ. But they're going to receive this boldness of God's spirit. And they're going to go out and do these amazing things. I truly believe that God wants to do that through us. Now, in this place, his community, we are the body of Christ in his absence. We are the new community of believers. That message that, that Jesus brought to one place in Jerusalem is going to go out, and it's going to go out in a people, a new community of believers, and it's going to be called the church. That's what we are and that's what we're called to be. So what's our response? Jesus tells them, okay, here's what I want you to do. If you believe that I died, if you believe that I resurrected, what should your response be? You should repent. That's the first key. 
He says, and that repentance and forgiveness of sin, sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So look at what I've done for you. Your response is, God, you're, you're right, I repent. And that word repentance, what's wrapped up in that, in that Greek word, is this, this complete turning that happens in your life. This complete change uh, in direction that you were going. You were heading life one way, living for yourself in rebellion to God, lazy, complacent. You make a direct change in your life. This week I, I was cleaning the gutters of my house. And, uh, and my wife loves this story because she got to see it. I was cleaning the gutters and I was trying to get all my carport, but I couldn't reach it. And I needed to get my neighbor's yard, but my neighbors have dogs and they have a big dog and he doesn't like people. And so I looked and the dog wasn't out there. And so I put the ladder over the fence and I was like, you know what? I'm not just going to jump in my neighbor's yard. I need to be a good neighbor. I need to go ask if I can stand in their yard and clean my gutters. So I go around and I open the gate very slowly. They're, they have the gated front yard, which you know that means go away. Uh, and as soon as I hear clink and I shut the date, that dog is at the door. And it's a big brown lab named Maggie. And Maggie is, has a sweet name. She's vicious. And, um, and Maggie starts charging at the screen door. I mean, she is trying to get me. And I'm thinking, okay, the door's closed. We're good. And so at that point, common sense would say, just turn around and leave. You know, like go back out. Don't continue in the direction that you're going. Danger ahead. This dog's pissed. But no, I just kept going. So I started walking toward the door, and that dog burst through that screen door. And I have never had such a radical change in the direction of my life. I turned, and I just started hauling. And I rounded around the house, and I knew my ladder was over there. And I knew that I could get up high enough on that ladder where that dog couldn't get me. And I ran, and I hauled my tail up to the top of that ladder. And I was lucky enough that the owner came running after the dog behind it. My wife got to, got to see the whole thing. I had a change in my direction. I saw that danger lie ahead. That's the response that God asked for us. He says, look at your life. Change direction. I think, I think we all long for repentance. Right? I think we all see what we've produced. And we long to be right with our God. We, there's this hole inside of us that we try to fill with all of these things of the world. But it never fills, right? It never satisfies. The house and the possessions doesn't satisfy. The, the relationships with a, a guy, a, a male, a female, the, the sexual relationships, they never quite satisfy for a little bit. But then it passes away. That's because you are meant to be in a relationship with your Savior. And so what you have to do is have this, this radical change in the way that you think about who you are, about why you were created, about sin, about your inability to overcome sin on your own, about the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, about the power that comes along with his resurrection. That's what it means to be his people. And to be following him is to repent and to change the way that we think about why we're here and what God has called us to do. And so he says, for those people who repent, for those people who are willing to receive my forgiveness, I have a task for you. This is what I want you to do. He says, you are to be my witnesses in 48. Witness, you, you've seen something, right? You've witnessed something. You've touched me, right? You've felt me. Have you guys felt God? Have you, have you touched and seen that God is good, right? You remember the journey? You remember when God showed up for you at times on your journey? When it just, you were at your bottom and God was there and he built you back up. God says, remember that. You witnessed me. You witnessed my beauty and my grace. Look around you. Look how incredibly good I am to you. I want you to tell other people about that. It's going to start in Jerusalem. Jesus brought this message to this one people, to this one place. And now this message is going to explode out. He says, you are going to be my witnesses. Uh, it's going to start in Jerusalem. And behold, I'm going to send you a promise of my Father upon you. So these people, they go from being scared... They go from isolating Jesus in a little room to this incredible boldness. And you can be bold with the message of Jesus Christ because God gave you another promise. As his people, he promised that he would send you his spirit to live inside of you. That the same spirit that resurrected Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that parted the waters, the same power that perform miracles, resides inside of you as the new community, 
the people of God. You just need to live your life in the reality that that power is there. And that God's presence is here in this place. He told us that he would be here. That he would be with us. It's not like we have to ask God to come here. Like, God, will you, will you come and be with us? He says, I already did that. We're going to see in Acts 2 when we jump into it that God's Spirit comes crazy powerfully on the apostles, right? They, it comes to them in a, in, in a room that's shaking and that fire that's coming from heaven. But God says that that Spirit is same here for you. And that Spirit that resides inside of you is going to give you the power to take this message. And this message just isn't for you, by the way. It's for all of my creation, Right? Let's jump forward to, to Romans 10, 12 through 13. He says, it doesn't matter if you're Jew. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're Greek. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So we are the ones that are supposed to take it to everyone. Not just to ourselves, to our neighbors, to our coworkers. Some of us are going to take it across the, uh, the, the ocean to, to places like Spain. Some people are going to go all over the world and they're going, to, they're going to tell this incredible message of who Jesus is. You are also a bearer of that message. You are a witness to who Jesus is and what he's done in, in, your, in your life. So Luke, he's going to end wanting his readers to know that Jesus was resurrected. It really happened. God's plan goes on, right? That plan and promise is now realized in this new community of believers called the church. And this community is going to be given a task. It's going to be a difficult task. It's going to be a task that you're going to need God's Spirit to do. But it's a task that because of what Jesus did, you can do. You guys can do it. I can do it, not of my own strength, but because of what Jesus Christ did. And so when I come to this table today and I break this bread, I'm going to remember that my, my sins were forgiven. I'm going to remember that Jesus not only died, but, but he rose from the dead. And, I, and I'm going to remember that God's spirit is inside of me and that I have the power to overcome. I have the power to speak boldly about who he is. And as a church, this is what we've been talking about for the last year. As a church, I truly believe God has something for us. As, as a ragtag group of very dysfunctional, right? People with all of our own issues, like the disciples, God's going to use us to accomplish his work in this place. And I truly believe, church, that as we go into the book of Acts and we begin to see what God's people can do when they're obedient to him, I believe he's going to do it here in this place in St. John's. I believe the last year we've spent trying to know who God is. It's been a year, right? It's been, we've had a year of transition. It was a year since we sent our founding pastor out, to go and do another incredibly beautiful work. And before we could jump back into the mission, we needed to remember the story. And so now that we've remembered, let's become bold for the gospel. And let's go forward and begin to tell people, there's nothing fancy about this church. You know? It's us, <laughs> you know, like I don't mean to sound rude, but we're just a group of people that are here. We, we live here and, and we want to be here and we want to we walk with God and with one ever, but we're willing to humble ourselves to him. And I believe that God is going to be glorified in this place when we do what the disciples are about to do in Acts. And we say, you know what, I'm going to stop leaving it up to some paid professional because I ain't it. To go and tell people about Jesus, I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to do it because I'm supposed to. I'm going to do it because I want to honor the Father. And I believe that he's going to be most glorified when I am most satisfied with him and telling other people about him. So for the next part of this service, let's spend worshiping that God. Let's spend worshiping the God that we know delivered us. Let's spend worshiping the God and praising him that, that we know went to the cross and that died for our sins. And... Maybe you want to pray something specifically. Ask God to do in you what he did in the disciples. Ask him to open your mind and your heart to who he is. And then be empowered. Receive the Holy Spirit or recognize the spirit that lives inside of you. And to go forward. Maybe you're here and you don't know who Jesus is. Maybe you don't understand the entire plan. And you don't understand the entire story. But you realize one thing that you're a sinner, and that you need a Savior. That's what it means to come to these tables. That's why we do this every week. We recognize in, in humble submission that Jesus died for our sins. 
that his body was broken, that the sacrifice has been paid, that you have been purchased with a price. And you can come and, and you can confess Jesus Christ as your, as your Lord and Savior in this place today. And God's Spirit that entered into the disciples says that it will actually come and live inside of you. That God, the creator of the universe, will live inside of you. is pretty freaking cool. So that's what I want us to do in this place today. So we're going to stand up. We're going to worship. We're going to take communion. You feel free to, if you want to go get your kids and bring them back up here. We're going to give of our tithes and offerings, which are a testament of God changing us, of, of our priorities being changed and saying, God, I want to give to you. I want to support the work that you're doing here. I believe that, that we're here for a reason and we have something that we're supposed to accomplish here. And we're going to come to these tables. If you need prayer, bring somebody with you, someone that you're in community with. I would love to pray with you. If you have questions, let's talk about it. If you just want to sit in your chair and, and, and talk to God in silence, feel free to do that. But leave this place different from the way that you came in. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you, you open our minds and our hearts to who you are. I see in Scripture that you did that, God. I, I really need you to come in and to reveal yourself to me. I need you to remind me of your goodness and of your grace. Please do that to us, Father. May we recognize you in this place. May we see that that the Prince of Peace is here, that the, the promise of the Helper has come, and you do walk with us. And Father, may we live a life victorious and to bring glory into your name until you decide to come back. May we be bold for you, proclaiming your message until you return. As your people, we ask this in the name of your Son, because there's power in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.